I love to learn how things work. And one of the modern marvels that uh, has just kind of like captured my attention is GPS. It just blows my mind how this little device can know exactly where I am at any given moment, right? It can also help me know how to get to where I want to go. It can tell me the presence of traffic, construction, and even law enforcement along the path I take, right? I was so curious about that. I thought I would take some time this past week to figure out how GPS works. And um, because I'm a simple-minded person, I went to NASA's webpage for kids and I found a lot of good information there. It kind of reminded me of the time I worked a puzzle in two weeks that said three to five years on the box. I felt like I'd accomplished something really big. Well, listen, here's how global positioning system work. There's basically three parts to it. There are satellites up in the sky, there are radars down on the ground, and then there is a device that captures all those signals. And basically how it works is these satellites, they are in the same place pretty much all the time. They float around, but they are in the exact same place and they send out these signals, right? And down on the ground, there are radars that actually make sure that the satellites stay where they're supposed to be. And then there is this tracking device that's on a phone or uh, maybe in your car. You can pick up those signals. And basically when a satellite sends out those signals and a receiver picks up four of those signals or more, presto. That's how a GPS can tell you exactly where you are and exactly where you want to go. It can help you get there, right? Now, since ancient time, humans have been looking up into the skies to help find direction and to find their way. Ancient travelers would often use stars and constellations in the night sky to figure out where they were, but also to help them figure out where they wanted to go. I think they would be flabbergasted by the speed and the the preciseness that we today can determine our location. This series, as we work through the arrival of Jesus to our planet, today we're going to encounter some people who were very curious about this baby who was promised to be born as a king. Not just any king, though. The Messiah. The anointed one. The one who would reign forever. And they were looking to the stars to find out how they could find this baby. Last week, we focused on the angel that God sent with a message to Mary, a promise that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. Remember what he said to her? He said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendant forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary wasn't the only one who got this exciting news. Matthew records that Joseph, who was engaged to Mary, also received a visit by an angel, but it was in a dream. We talked about those are two of the ways that God often will speak to us. The angel said to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love the faith and the courage that Joseph, just like Mary, had. When he heard from God, he obeyed. Matthew records that when Jesus woke up, or then Joseph woke up, he did what the angel told him to do. He took Mary home to be his wife. That's really the only detail that Matthew gives us about the whole birth of Jesus. 
There were no manger, no shepherds, none of the things that we typically see depicted in the nativity. In fact, the portion of the Christmas story that we want to focus on today is the star. And that is something that only Matthew records as part of the arrival of Jesus. So let's keep reading in Matthew's account, now picking up in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's walk through some of the more important aspects of the record of Jesus' birth by Matthew. First, we meet this guy named Herod. Herod is the king in Judah in the time of Jesus' birth. He was established as ruler in 37 BC by Rome themselves. In fact, he was called by Rome the king of the Jews. He was also called Herod the Great. He had established his uh, rule and established peace throughout the land. He had provided jobs for the working class. He had completed a large number of major building projects, all that had his name prominently displayed. He had also made the temple in Jerusalem more magnificent than even Solomon himself. But in his latter years, he became a vicious, bloodthirsty tyrant. He was known to annihilate anybody who was seen as a threat to him. He killed his own wife. He killed her mom, his mother-in-law. He even killed his brother-in-laws, her brothers. He killed three of his own sons. He killed numerous people who were suspected as conspirators. Herod the Great was known to dress up as a commoner and go out into the city just to listen to what people had to say about him. And then he would send his soldiers back to kill anybody who said anything that was bad about him. Can you say narcissist? Herod's reign ended about 4 BC. And that's one of the moments that we actually know that Jesus was probably born in uh, 4 BC instead of the traditional 1 AD. We know that Herod was still on the throne when Jesus was born. Now entered the Magi. These were travelers from the east who arrived in Jerusalem asking about a baby that had been born who was also known as the king of the Jews. When Herod heard that, Matthew says he was disturbed. You would say he was beside himself with anger. All Jerusalem was disturbed at this news. Well, who were these travelers? The word magi more than likely indicates that they were wealthy, powerful astrologers 
known for their deep study as well as interpretation of astrological formations as well as manifestations. Contrary to some very popular Christmas carols, they were most likely not kings, even though they were very prominent in their homeland, which probably was Babylonia. That's probably where they were from. There was probably a lot more than just three men traveling. There was a whole entourage that entered Jerusalem that day, and we really don't know if they were actually riding camels. They did, however, communicate to Herod that they had seen a star in the east, and they had come to worship this person who was the one-born king of the Jews. Now let's think about the star. Many have attempted to identify what the Magi saw, but no one knows for sure. There are some theories. It may have just been a star like you and I see in the night sky. It could have been a collection of stars or constellations. It could have been like some type of supernova. It also could have been two planets, maybe like Jupiter or Saturn. There were many uh, documented manifestations of those two planets coming together and being fixed in the sky around Jesus' birth. It was obvious that the Magi to the Magi, that there was some significant astronomical phenomenon that associated a very significant ruler had just been born. Now, this was not unusual in the ancient world. There was many correlations between uh, things that happened in the sky and rulers being appointed or even born. But we also don't think that this was accidental or happenstance. Many scholars believe that this was a miraculous indicator by God, the creator of the universe, to signal the Messiah had come, the Savior of the entire world. Many trace the appearance of this star back to a prophecy that's found in the Old Testament in Numbers 24 that was given to God for, by God to a guy named Balaam. I'd love to tell you just briefly this story. The Israelites were conquering kingdoms and lands on their way to the land that God had promised to them. And on their way, they encountered the Moabites. Balak was king of Moab, and he didn't want to be destroyed by the nation of Israel. So he hired a man named Balaam to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. Balaam sought God's direction in this moment. And God initially told Balaam not to go and follow Balak's orders. But then, because Balak continued to pester him, God relented and said, go with them, but do not say anything unless I tell you. Balaam went with these messengers from Balak, and God was angry about it. So God placed an angel in Balaam's path, and the donkey that Balaam was riding on veered off the road when he saw this angel in the path. And so Balaam got off the donkey, and he beat the donkey, and they continued on their journey. As they did, they followed down this very narrow path where there were two walls on each side. And once again, there was an angel in the path and Balaam's donkey saw the angel and he pressed Balaam's foot up against the wall, hurt him. So Balaam got off his donkey and he let him have it a second time. And then they continued on their journey. Well, the third time, God placed an angel in the path to obstruct the donkey in Balaam's path and this time, Balaam's donkey just sat down right in the middle of the road. And so Balaam got off this donkey and he beat the donkey again. In that moment, God opened the mouth of the donkey and the donkey actually said these words to Balaam. What have I done to you that you keep beating me? Now, 
Never underestimate how God might want to speak to you, okay? What's amazing to me as much as the donkey speaking to Balaam is that Balaam actually talked back. Numbers 22 records what Balaam said. Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. If I owned a sword right now, I would kill you. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, Balaam said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. God, or, uh, the angel told Balaam to go with the Balak, but to only speak what he tells him to speak. And instead of putting a curse on the nation of Israel, God told Balaam to pronounce a blessing. And that blessing is this. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, and he will crush the heads of Moab. Like all the prophecies, God in this moment was revealing his heart for his people and declaring indicators that would be given to announce and confirm the fulfillment of his plans. This was very clearly another fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus was the Messiah. The Magi understood it as well as they responded to it. They most likely traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles to find the baby that that star was indicating had been born. Again, contrary to most traditions, when the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, it was several months after Jesus had been born, maybe as many as 18 to 24 months after his birth. They didn't find Jesus in a manger, they didn't pass the shepherds on their way back to the fields. They actually found Jesus as a child, Matthew says, not an infant. He was in a home in Bethlehem with his parents. Herod was less than thrilled with all that was taking place and even tried to bribe the Magi to help him identify who this baby was. He said he wanted to go and worship him. But his true plans were revealed after the Magi did not return back to Jerusalem, they had been warned in a dream not to. So he gave orders to destroy, to murder every child two years old and younger in Bethlehem. The cries of weeping mothers in Bethlehem was another fulfillment of prophecy, as was Jesus being taken to Egypt by his parents to escape this horrid violence by Herod. You can read about both of those moments in the rest of chapter 2 in Matthew. We can see clearly the hand of God present in this moment at the birth of Jesus, revealing his character as well as his activity in the lives of humanity. God is not silent, nor is he passive. God is present and active in the lives of humanity. He's at work at revealing who he is as well as his plans to those who are attentive as well as responsive. One thing that captured my attention this past week as I worked through this visit by the Magi was the song, a strong contrast between their desire to come and worship the baby who had been born king and the apathy or just the indifference of the religious leaders who were in Jerusalem. When the Magi arrived and they questioned Herod about where they could find this baby that had been born, Herod was stumped. And so he called in the religious leaders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law to ask for them for help. And they were very quick with an answer indicating that 
Bethlehem was where this baby was to be born, according to the Old Testament prophecy by Micah. Matthew quotes it there, kind of paraphrases it. He says, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no means least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The religious leaders knew exactly where the baby would be born. And by this time, they had probably heard about it. Remember, there was an angelic choir that appeared in the sky. The shepherds had gone back telling everyone around them about what they had seen and also what they had heard. The religious leaders only had to travel five miles to go and see the baby, but they didn't put forth the effort. On the other hand, the Magi had observed this sign from God, this unmistakable astrological event. They understood it to indicate that the Messiah had been born and they went to worship him. The religious leaders, they were ambivalent. They were uninterested. They were even aloof. God still speaks to us today, and he does so through angels and dreams and visions. He speaks most consistently to us through the Bible. He speaks most completely to us through his son, Jesus. He will speak to us through creation, through circumstances, even through uh, others. The Holy Spirit is given to us to be able to discern what God is saying to us in any moment. The Magi noticed the sign, and they pursued what God was doing. Scripture even confirmed what God was doing. You should always confirm the signs that you might see with Scripture. The Holy Spirit, like I said, is our counselor, and it will give us direction as God is revealing his plans to us. God still directs us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be aware of what he's doing in the world around us. He wants to be, he wants to us wants to involve us in what he is doing in and through us. He is revealing his self as well as his ways to us. The question is, are you noticing? One of my favorite things to do when traveling to a place like Kenya, my wife and I and family have spent many times uh, in Kenya, especially out in the Maasai area, which is a well remote area uh, out in the middle of the Serengeti. And out in the middle of nowhere, there is very little light pollution. There's very little light you see around. And because of that, it looks like the stars are bigger than life. I mean, there seems to be more stars. They seem to be brighter. It's just amazing. One time when visiting there, a friend of mine had an app on his phone that if you held it up against the sky, it would actually tell you what stars you were looking at, what planets you could identify. Man, that was mind-boggling for me. I spent hours enjoying that. It's really powerful. On Friday night, our staff had a Christmas party. And one of the things they did was pass out these crazy looking glasses. And what's so cool, I mean, I have a very simple mind. When you put these glasses on, anywhere there's light, this edition of glasses shows stars. They had ones that showed gingerbreads and uh, angels. I mean, if I was looking at the angel one, I'd just see angels everywhere today, right? But everywhere there's light, there are stars. I mean, it's like, that's perfect timing for a sermon on Sunday, right? God is revealing himself to us. He is speaking to us. He is directing us by the things around us. He will speak and use anything to get our attention. God reveals himself in his ways to us. We have to realize that his ways, according to Isaiah, are not always our ways. 
but he chooses to reveal them to us as well as to bring them about for our good. I love the promises that are found in Jeremiah chapter 29. This is God speaking and he says these words. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord. I'll bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This verse has actually been very misunderstood by many people. It is not a promise of wealth and health to all those who just look to God. It's a promise that God's presence will be with you no matter where you find yourself. It's a promise that God has plans for you that may not be plans that you would choose, but they are plans that can be trusted and that are always for your good. God was writing to his people who were in captivity at that moment. And some had promised that they'd only be there for two years, but God says, no, 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 you're going to be there for 70 years. Settle in, people, is what God was saying. I know the plans I have for you. They are for your good. They're also for the good of those around you, God says. You can trust me. You can lean into the plans I have for you. They are trustworthy. God's plans can be trusted. And I think we see that example from like Mary and Joseph. They trusted God's word to them. And they saw the signs. One of those signs was that they had to travel to Bethlehem where it was prophesied Jesus would be born. It was a virgin birth which had been prophesied and promised to Mary and Joseph. The shepherds saw the signs. They said that you will go and find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And they found Jesus exactly as it had been promised to them. And the Magi, they saw the sign. It was a star, and they followed it to find the baby, the Messiah, the King of the Jews. God continues to speak to us and direct us. He reveals his heart to us. He reveals his ways to us. Some have taught that it's not biblical or even God-honoring to look for or ask for a sign. But I actually see many biblical examples of people who were given a sign by God as an affirmation or even a confirmation of his character as well as his plans for their life. Think about Noah. He was given a sign. It was a rainbow. It was placed in the sky. And God said, that's a sign of my promise that I'll never destroy the earth by water again. Moses at the burning bush was given a sign. In fact, he was given a couple. God told him, take that staff that's in your hand and drop it to the ground. And when he did, it became a serpent. God said, take your hand and stick it in your cloak. And when he pulled it out, it was leprous. Both of those were signs that God gave to Moses to confirm who he was and what he was doing in Moses' life. God revealed himself as in, and his plans to a guy named Gideon, who God said, I'm going to send you to deliver my people from the Midianites. One of the first signs he gave to Gideon was that he consumed a, a sacrifice of bread and meat on a rock with fire. God says, if that's not proof enough that I am with you and I'm sending you, what else do you need? And Gideon said, well, I have an idea. How about this? I'm going to put a piece of wool out tomorrow on the ground. And I'm going to ask that if everything you're saying is true, would you make that wool wet with dew and the rest of the dr ground dry around it? And God says, no problem. I can do that. And he did. 
Gideon, maybe he was a little bit like me, a little thick-headed, maybe needed a two-by-four, if you know what I mean. He said, okay, God, I get it, but would you reverse that tomorrow? Just again, to prove who you are and what you're doing, and God did. He made the ground dry and the piece of wool wet. I mean, reversed it the next day. God was showing himself to Gideon, as well as revealing to Gideon what he was doing in his life. Jesus told some of his disciples, hey, I want to celebrate the Passover with you. So I'm going to send you into town and you're going to see a man carrying a jar and follow that person to their house because that's where we're going to celebrate the Passover meal. And the disciples found it exactly as Jesus said. Jesus also said there will be signs of the end of the age. There'll be earthquakes and famines and persecution. He says the sun, moon, and stars will be shaken. All these are signs that redemption is drawing near. God wants to direct our attention to what is really important. And we see from this experience of the Magi that they saw the star that was pointing them to Jesus and they responded in worship. Where do you sense that God is trying to get your attention? Do you see some signs in your life that God is trying to provide direction to you? I mean, maybe it's some tension between a relationship that you have. You know that that relationship is probably not healthy or helpful to you. Is God trying to get your attention by that conflict just to say, maybe there needs to be space here? I wonder if God is trying to remove you from a workplace or an environment that has caused your priorities to be all jacked up. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to move you in a direction that would be better for you, that would be for your good, that would help lead you to the life he promised you that he describes as life to the fullest. I wonder if you're experiencing maybe just some dissatisfaction. Maybe it's in your marriage or in the relationship you have with one of your children. Maybe it's between you and a coworker or a neighbor or even a friend. I wonder if God's just trying to prompt you, to direct you, to get you to wake up and smell the coffee, to see the signs that what he's trying to do in your life that you can trust you should lean in. I just wonder if there are obvious ways that you see that you're pursuing maybe the things of this world instead of the things of God. And God is giving you a sign. He is directing you. He is leading you. GPS is only good if you follow it. You know, the Christmas season is a pretty special time for the Hellers. I mean, let's all obviously recognize it's the birth of Jesus, our Savior. That's really the meaning for the season, right? But it was so special of a season that Christy and I decided to get married at Christmas time. It looked really a good idea 28 years ago. Now it always feels a little convoluted, especially with three kids and all kinds of activity. But we really try to celebrate our anniversary regardless. I'll never forget the night before our wedding. Some of my closest friends, my groomsmen, we spent some time bowling. That's what you did 28 years ago on the night before your wedding. You went bowling, right? But afterwards, all my groomsmen... They lifted me up on their hands just in, out in front of the entire sky. Is it a little small town in southern Illinois? There wasn't a lot of light pollution. And that night, the stars seemed brighter than I've ever seen them. I had never seen a falling star or a shooting star. And pretty soon into that moment, they were probably holding me up there for about 25 minutes, just praying for me and speaking words of affirmation over me. And pretty early into that moment, I saw something flash across the sky. I was like, what was that? And I'd never seen that before. And you can call it lack of faith if you want to, 
But in that moment, I was making probably the most significant decision other than following Christ that I had ever made in my 20 years of living in that moment. And I asked God for a sign. I said, God, tomorrow I'm saying yes to a lot of things, to a very special person that I would lose my front teeth before hurting. God, if this is what you are doing, would you just once again confirm that? Would you show me once again that this is your plan for me? And I just watched the stars. And about 10 minutes later, I saw another shooting star, bigger than the one I'd seen before. And I still, to this day, 28 years later, say that's just another, among many of reasons, that I know God was doing what he's been doing in Christy and I's life ever since. I praise him for responding to a person who was just eager to know what God was doing in that moment. And he continues to confirm many other things in my life through the signs that he reveals. And there ain't nothing special about Phil Heller. God has a plan for your life. And he is present with you. And he has all kinds of things he wants to show you. I hope, like the Magi, we would learn to notice and when we recognize some signs that God is doing, I pray that we would lean in. We would surrender ourselves to those plans and watch what God does. It will ultimately lead us to worship him for who he is and what he's doing in our life. That's what we see in the story of the Magi. The Magi noticed the star and they made a conscious decision to worship the baby who was born as the king of the world, the savior of the world. They made incredible sacrifices to make a huge journey in that pursuit. They sought truth from a reliable source, even though the religious leaders were a little unexcited about the news that they gave to the Magi, it was confirmation from God's word that that was what God was doing. And when they came to the house in Bethlehem, they bowed down. That was a sign that they recognized that they were in the presence of somebody way more important than them a sign of reverence and a sign of awe. And they also worshiped him. And their worship, they presented three gifts, a gift of gold, a gift of frankincense, and a gift of myrrh. In those three gifts, many have pointed out how in the ancient world those gifts were significant. The gift of gold is always associated with royalty. It's a gift for a king. And in presenting Jesus the gift of gold, they were emphasizing Jesus' royalty. Frankincense was used all throughout the Old Testament as an act of worship. It was offered to God as a recognition of worship to him. And so when the Magi presented Jesus a gift of frankincense, it was emphasizing Jesus' deity. And myrrh, well, myrrh was used as an anesthetic. In fact, it was offered to Jesus when he was dying on the cross. Myrrh was also used for burial. In fact, Jesus' body was wrapped in a linen cloth that had uh, spices as well as myrrh. By giving Jesus myrrh at his birth, they were emphasizing his humanity. Again, these are all signs pointing to just who Jesus is, revealing how special and worthy of worship he is, and also pointing to how significant he should be in all of our lives. I love that the Apostle Paul didn't miss the signs. He saw exactly who God was, and he also saw exactly what God was doing in his life. And he wrote about it to a group called the Philippians. I love how the message translation paraphrases this. 
Follow along as I read this to you. This is Paul speaking. He says, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my Savior firsthand, everything I once I thought had going for me is insignificant. It's dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get a robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I can know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, and be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. He says, if there was any way to get in on that resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I've made it. But I'm well on my way, Paul says. I'm reaching out for Christ, who so wonderfully reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself as an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. Paul says, I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything that God has for us, if any of us has something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision and you'll see it yet. Paul was tuned in to the spiritual GPS, the Holy Spirit working in his life, pointing out what was really important and following God's leading in his life as he led him toward that. Warren Wearsby writes this. He says, no person who follows the light that God provides can miss worshiping at the feet of Jesus. They'll find in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, for in him dwells all the fullness of God. Are you leaning into God's direction in your life? To do so, I think we first have to just notice how God is working, how God is revealing himself and his plans to us and to see the signs that he provides for us. When we do, we have to surrender to those plans. We have to let God have control of our life in his hands. He's trustworthy. He has our best interest in mind. As he fulfills his will and his plans for our life, we might not always understand where he's leading us, but we can always trust his direction. And when we do, we should worship him. We should worship him for all that he is. We should also worship him for all that he has done, is doing, and will do in our life. Let's pray together. God, I just cry hallelujah. I sing hallelujah because you have revealed yourself to us. You have not let yourself be a mystery to us. You have continued to reveal yourself. You've continued to express yourself in love in so many different ways, all God to get our attention. Offer us to recognize who you are. Offer us to get a picture of how you're working in our life, how you want to work in our life. And God, I pray, just like Paul said, if we have anything else in our purview that you would clear our blurred vision, we would see a clearer picture of who you are and how you're at work in our life. And God, not only would we recognize it, we would surrender to it. We would be like the Magi who saw the star in the east and got busy following it. And I pray, Lord, that we would seek you with all of our heart and take the promise at face value that when we do, we will find you. God, when we do, I pray that we would fall at your feet in worship. 
worship you for all that you are and also worship you for all that you have done, that you are doing, and with confidence of what you will do. God, lead us in that today, we pray through Christ. Amen.